0: and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to a very special episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Today's guests are my parents. Larry and Bernadette Sen, aka mom and dad, are on the podcast today. And I had been wanting to interview both of them eventually for the podcast and thought it would be great to interview them together because I wanted to interview them for two very different reasons, but I think telling their story in full is super inspiring. So this all got started. I've always wanted to interview my dad just because he was always very open with me growing up that he was married before. I have three older half-brothers from my dad's first marriage, so I always knew that my dad was devastatingly heartbroken at one point in his life. And it's so interesting, one time I did a podcast interview and someone and the host asked because your dad went through a divorce before meeting your mom, did that make you feel like tainted about marriage or scared that him and your mom wouldn't work out? And I was like, no, it was actually the opposite. He was always made the point of, I'm so glad that the divorce happened because then I wouldn't have met your mom and we wouldn't have had you. So it was always like just a good reminder that there's something really good after stuff that's really hard happens. You guys hear me say like blessing in disguise all the time. That comes from my parents 100%. My mom used to say it after everything. So I always wanted to interview my dad because he married his Sunday school sweetheart, was married for 15 years, had three kids. He was born in 1935. So he – like going through a divorce was not common when he went through it. And so it was so shocking to him on so many levels. I wanted him to share his story of going through that and how he – Ultimately, ended up using that divorce for so much good in his life. And then I wanted to interview my mom because a question that's been coming up a lot around on Instagram, or not even a question, but just like a fear, are women who are going through breakups later in life and are really terrified to have kids. And while my mom didn't necessarily meet my dad when she was older, she didn't end up deciding that she even wanted kids until she was 38 because she was the stepmom to my brothers. So in the 80s, at 38, she decided that she wanted to have kids of her own, and she had me when she was 43, and then I have a younger brother, and she had him when she was 52. So she shares her fertility journey and the journey of, not to say it was easy, it was it's obviously a very hard process, but anytime someone shares fears around like, oh, I'm 35, I'm 38... I always share my mom's story just because I think it gives so much hope. And my mom does. She shares about this, but like she's a big cheerleader for people having kids later on in life. And to think that she did it when it was so uncommon, I asked her like at 38, did she know anyone else that was having kids? And it was a no. And it's so nice that things have changed, but we obviously still have a long way to go. So yeah, I'm so excited to share my parents with you guys. They are a huge reason that I am the way that I am. And I'm so excited that you guys get to meet them and learn about them. They are have been together for like 50 years now or something crazy. So here are my amazing parents. I was interviewing them in person, which was really fun. So we were sitting across the table from each other. So here is Larry and Bernadette Sen. Welcome to very special guests on the podcast today, my mom and my dad. Could you
1: guys introduce yourselves? Mom, you go first. My name is Bernadette Sen. I am 75 years old and I'm married with two children and three stepchildren, I guess you could say, even though they don't like to be called stepchildren, and seven grandkids one great grandchild and a very large, wonderful, extended family. Perfect. All right, Dad.
2: I'm Larry, mostly known as Bapa, <laughs> with that big family that Burnett just, just described. So my mother always taught me family comes first. And so being able to have family sweet. And I wasn't sure I was gonna have the second family that I had. So that was a blessing. Yeah. Great.
0: Okay, so I've told you guys, but I have uh, asked you guys to be interviewed for two different reasons. Well, first of all, how long have you guys been married?
2: Well, we first started dating 50 years ago next year.
0: Wow, okay. And
2: And then married married
0: since 1980, right? Since 1980, yeah. So that's 42 years. Two years, yes. Okay, but obviously... You know, you guys didn't meet in high school. There's some stories before. So dad, if you could start off by just telling us a little bit about your first marriage, how it got started, and then obviously since you're married to mom, how it ended. So could you just give us a little synopsis of that?
2: Well, I was raised in the leave it to beaver kind of era where my mom stayed home as a homemaker. My father worked hard, was gone a lot. And no one had ever gotten a divorce in the family in our history. So I just thought you found your mate, you got married, and you did that for life. So I married my Sunday school sweetheart. Actually, I was I was just starting college and it really was a teen group I was still attending at church when I met her. And she was in high school, about a year or two years younger than me. And we had the classic, you know, romance and then marriage and then planned almost On the calendar, the three kids, and she was a school teacher, stopped to have her three children. And that's how the whole thing was. It was, to me, I thought that was going to be it for life.
0: And then how long were you guys married before the divorce?
2: Probably 15 years or more. We were married and didn't have kids for the first few years, both were professionals, then had our three kids. And I thought that was going to be it and never could imagine what was happening. So I began to be suspicious when I came home. And remember, she was reading Feminine Mystique and some other <laughs> books. And basically what happened was she was the daughter of a minister and actually had never dated anybody besides me. And she said, you know, I've committed myself to my parents and my church, my family, my husband. When do I get mine? And that's what started down the path to have an affair with an even younger guy. And uh, I remember was suspicious when I came home and there was yogurt in the refrigerator and we didn't eat yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of slow at picking up those clues, but essentially, essentially, she left me. And that was, at that point in my life, the most painful thing I'd ever experienced. The biggest surprise I never imagined.
0: And how old were you?
2: I was uh, in my mid-30s at that point, my mid-30s, yeah. And I thought I was married forever. And so I was down. I was literally dysfunctional. My partner in the business, I had to run it for about six months because I, I just really couldn't function well. And I thought I'd never love again. I thought I'd never be loved by anyone again. I didn't care about my job and wasn't as excited about my profession. So it was a really, really dark time for me.
0: And and then to, you know, navigating with the boys.
2: Yes, that was a painful part because uh, we had children three, five, and seven at the time. And one thing I often say, they saved me because they became my life. And I got closer to them. And even today, you know, with... uh, some of them in the fifties, they'll still, you know, hug me and say, "I love you, Dad." And I don't think I would have had that relationship had I not realized that they were the ceremonial. Like there was something I could cling on to, yeah, something I could hang on to, and someone who loved me. So having family was supportive. And while I felt I was damaged merchandise, I really did, and I had friends that would really encourage me. And show kindness to me. And they let me know. I had one friend who said, you know, it's really painful, Larry, but it'll be less and less every day. And you will get through this. And you're a very desirable person. You will love and be loved again. And I hung on to that. Wow. Uh, Hung on to that.
0: And how long do you feel like it was until you started feeling a little bit of the edge taken off of the pain?
2: Almost remember the day, because we tried different things. We went to counseling but she wouldn't give up her boyfriend. Okay. And we went to three different counselors and they finally said, you know, you can't do this. She wanted to keep both of us. I mean, I was a traveling guy, you know, let me have my boyfriend. And God, I tried and I couldn't. And one day I said, I can't live this way. Much as I want her, I have to move on. And that was a interesting turning point because up until that point, I didn't meet anybody. But once I was clear I'd shut that door when one close other doors open. All of a sudden, I started meeting women on flight attendants on airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's when I met Bernadette. Because the other thing that happened was that I, when I got through all my anger at James, even though it, sh- it should have been at Sandra, and I began to think about, I need to learn something from this. Really raised in a family, really believes in personal accountability. So, you know, what is it about me I need to work on? And in my life. And so I was in a class, a class on the actualizing person at, at UC Irvine. And we were, it was a combination of sensitivity groups and lectures and tests. And we got back this time comp, got back this test about actualization. There was this really vivacious young woman just bouncing up and down her chair saying, I'm actualized. I'm actualized. <laughs> But she's later to find that she'd read the test wrong, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so attracted to that. And that's when I met Bernadette. And while I say that that was the worst thing happened in my life, it was the best thing happened in my life, as I think about it. Because I wouldn't have you, Kendra. You wouldn't have Logan, your brother. And I wouldn't have Bernadette. And I wouldn't have really changed my career, because I was running a successful, traditional consulting firm, and through all that seeking of how to change myself, became aware of of processes, learning models that could help change habits of people, and founded on that a uh, world's first culture shaping firm, and that became my purpose and my passion besides my family. But that never would have happened. So this Bernard has this expression: "Blessing in disguise." Yeah, and. While there was pain, there was learning. It was all a blessing in disguise.
0: The listeners have heard that term a lot. So my mom's the one that coined that. Well, (laughs) popularized it. Dad, could you talk a little bit about the shift that you went through? Because your company was founded on these certain principles. And I know that was part of what you dove into at this point in your life. Could you talk about like the role of thought that you learned about and how that, you know, helped with the divorce or, you know
2: Well, you know, I'm an engineer by background, although I've got an MBA and and today a PhD. I was a pretty lived a pretty monotonic life. You know, I didn't have ups, I didn't have downs. Things always seemed to work out for me. And one day I was laying in a park and I said to myself, geez, if there are lows that are this painful, I'll bet there are highs I haven't experienced either. I bet there's a whole part of life I haven't experienced either. So for me, getting into the mode of learning about human development, learning about myself, learning about how to be an actualized person, but also we're introduced to a fascinating uh, concept, the whole notion that our thinking creates our, our experience of life, the whole notion that that we all are like making a movie every day. We're making a movie through our thinking. So when I was going through the darkest times, my thinking was depressed thinking. So if you have thinking, depressed thinking, you have depressed feelings. My thinking was insecure. If you have insecure thinking, you have insecure feelings. So I began to realize that that my thinking was driving my life. And I had to better understand that it was my thinking was often an illusion. It wasn't real. It's almost like being in a in a bad movie and being scared as heck, but realizing you can walk out of the movie and realizing that while it's really dark, you know, when the clouds are there, the sun's still up there. And so the idea of of finding how to live life at my best, live life, and a lot of that came through the whole notion of what are today called the three principles of the whole role of thought and how it creates your feelings.
0: Yeah, and I talk about that a lot because... I think sometimes people believe their thoughts, especially, I mean, and, you know, I think when you're in the midst of something, it's really hard not to believe your thoughts. Or when you're going through something like a heartbreak, there are emotions that are probably unavoidable. But, you know, if you find yourself continuously thinking, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, you look and it's typically not based in reality because you do have people that love you. Maybe, you know, a husband or a wife left you or a girlfriend or boyfriend left you, but you still have family that loves you and friends that love you. So that creates that experience instead of looking at the reality of, you know, what's actually going on around you.
1: And it's seductive too because it our thoughts, especially when they're dark, it seems real. Yeah. And so real that if someone were to say, well, it's your thinking – they wouldn't want to look at that until you know maybe later on, so it's tricky.
2: But that's played a big role in our relationship, because we know, for example, that when we're this thing I call the mood elevator that I created, when we're down basement of the mood elevator, our thinking's unreliable, and that's when we say things to loved ones we wish we could take back. And so we've kind of had this deal that we won't take on issues if either of us our thinking is unreliable. If we're in a, in a low mood... That was not the time to try to deal with things where we come up a little bit and i think that's created a much more tranquil peaceful loving relationship than even we had at the very beginning when we had our knockdowns
1: (laughs) (laughs) which we did
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i think that's a good message too for someone who is going through because you know when you're going through a breakup you are at the bottom of the mood elevator you're you know feeling depressed and it's good to know that that your thinking is not reliable and I think it's, it's easy to get sucked into your thoughts. And I know a lot of people struggle with constantly obsessing of what went wrong, if I only had done this, if I had only done that, and they just get stuck in their heads instead, and which is a really scary place when you're that low.
2: Yeah, and I remember the period where I really was gripped by, you know, how do I fix this? What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? And when I was able to just get a little distance from that, and let go of that and just see a little bit of light, then then things began to change.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. so let's move on, I guess, to part two. I will do like a little bit of a handoff here. So, you guys meet in a class. So, mom, you're walking into a package deal, not just dad, but three oh, boys. Yeah. yeah. When was the conversation about you maybe wanting your own kids? Did you always want your own kids?
1: Well, it's interesting listening to dads, and I've heard his story over and over again but every time I hear it it's very touching but hearing him talk about how he was raised and I had a very traditional upbringing as well so when I went to college I did go to college which my parents didn't think I would they didn't assume I would but I had friends that went so I went and I realized that well you know when I graduate, I'll probably want to get married and have kids. And and so what job is conducive to having time off for your kids would be in the teaching arena. So I ended up getting a degree in speech therapy, which brought me to the regular school district. And so I had time off just like the teachers did. When you first started dating dad, when...
0: Oh, or you were you- into being
2: a professional. Yes. Yeah. And didn't talk about kids early on. That's my Yeah, record. but we had Did you agreement? always think
1: you wanted kids?
2: It was a surprise to me.
1: It was on it. Well, we had the
2: agreement, though. Oh, I know. I know, but I didn't think you are going to... Oh, you across. just didn't think I, I didn't was going to cash in on it. Because you were <laughs> pretty deeply involved in your career and with the three boys. And well, so I thought that's going to be enough yeah. for you. And then you started seeing babies and crying. That's my recollection. And all of a sudden, right. you came back and, and called in the deal. Right.
1: So I always assumed i would get married and have kids so then i meet my dear larry here and i fell in love and i knew we had three boys but when you're in love you know you just you don't think ahead of what that might mean so it was a big adjustment for me to have three boys and i'm the only girl so i felt like there were four of them and one of me and so it took a while for me to find my place as a step parent and but i did end up doing a lot of fun things he bought me a motorcycle and we went motorcycle riding i actually tried surfing and so we did a lot of great fun things and so I went back and forth. Well, maybe I don't really need to have kids because I've got three of them right now. And that went on for many years. And then all of a sudden when I turned 38, I remember being on an airplane. And all of a sudden I started crying. And I had this huge welling inside of me. I want to have kids of my own. Excuse me. So I approached dad and I thought we had an agreement before we got married. (laughs) I assume. I mean, I remember that conversation I'm not sure he did but I Knew that we had some conversation about That if I ever wanted to have kids of my own that he he would be open to the conversation so when I approached him he Agreed and he's I
2: think I first said isn't there a stature of limitations? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Playfully. But, Playfully. But right. I knew there's a no-win deal not to help you do that.
1: Right. And the fact is he's a family. He's really family comes first is totally clear. And so to have another family, why not? You know, if you love family, why not two of them? So <laughs> so then we started on the journey of having kids, and there I'm 38. Yeah, and so this was, what year was that? That was- In the 80s. That's right. You were born 91, and so it took five years, really. So I was, maybe I was 36, not 38, but anyway, it was three, four years before you finally arrived. That was a journey. But when you decided that you
0: wanted kids at 38, did you know anyone else that was having kids that late?
1: No, I did not. And you know, we started trying and nothing happened and so then we got checked out and we're both fine and kept trying and it didn't happen. So were um, there a doctor in the beginning were doctors like encouraging,
0: discouraging? It was so un I mean now it's unusual. a lot more common, but yeah,
1: it was so unusual. Very unusual. Then. So I was totally clear that I was gonna this was gonna happen. I prayed, people at church praying. So I was going to do whatever it took. So we started into checking into fertility. So we got a infertility set of group of doctors. So we had several procedures that Which, did not work.
0: Yeah, and IVF was very
1: new then. Exactly right. So that was like the, eight, the late 80s. So there was a one procedure before IVF, which didn't work either. So we went to the IVF and it was difficult because you go through a set of shots and, and it did not work. So I was pretty devastated. And every time it was a no, you call over to the doctor's office, and they tell you, yes, you're pregnant, or no, you're not. And so I kept getting, you know, no, no, no. And so we basically gave up. And so I started thinking about adopting, perhaps. But we actually relaxed, because I tried everything I could, and it didn't happen. So I relaxed. And this was right around summertime when we have our house in Wisconsin. So we had lots of fun in Wisconsin and we got back and my period stopped and I couldn't figure out what the heck. And so I did a home pregnancy test and I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, really? And then he did a no shit as well, but you know, <laughs> but we were so happy, so happy. I loved every minute of being pregnant, and I felt so lucky. So everything that I tried didn't work, and then we relaxed, and what do you know?
2: You used to say you loved carrying Kendra around with you everywhere. I
0: did. I I had, like, the
1: opposite experience with pregnancy, but... (laughs) (laughs) I know, most people did. Yeah. (laughs) But I think because I wanted it so badly and I tried so hard, I just, I savored every minute of it. And so there I was, and we had... My beautiful daughter, and I was forty three when I had her, and the doctors were kind of surprised, even the like Larry was in the delivery room and
2: and the doctors was talking the two and I walked up and he said, "I don't know if you're a religious man or not, but we're not sure how she conceived all we can do is tell you it's a miracle,
1: yeah, so the doctor said that." <laughs> And, you know, the doctors have, I mean, the whole process has come so much further than it was back then. So,
2: But that's not the end of the story. Yeah, that's (laughs) not the end of the
1: story. So every minute was just precious with her and such a good dad. And then we had this extended family. So her stepbrothers, which are now brothers, totally loved having her, especially having a girl. So... Then I was at my, had my pap smear with my annual pap smear with my Dr. Gaynor Pillsbury in Long Beach, and he asked about my life, and I said, oh, yeah, I've just had so much fun being pregnant, and now my daughter's nine years old. Maybe you were No, I must have
0: been younger, because I was nine when he was born. Right, so it must have been eight,
1: maybe seven and a half, eight and I said, oh, my God, I would have loved to have another child. So he says to me, well, why not? <coughs> and I said, really, you think so? And I was 50 at the time, I believe. Yeah, I was 50. I, and so I thought, well, what the heck? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and poor Larry was going through some procedures that he was struggling with himself. So he finds out he has a brain tumor and he had some business issues going on, pretty big business issues. And so then I come to him and I say, I'd love to have another child. And he's like, oh, why not? You know, the world is falling apart as it is. So anyway. And that's only 64. Only. Right. Exactly. So we went back to the same fertility doctors. They, you know, helped a lot, even though it, the procedures didn't work. So anyway, went through the procedures. This time it worked. And so I had my son, Logan, at the age of 52. And people were like, looking at me strange that I here I am 50 and I'm pregnant. How did that happen? You know, because... <laughs> it's just not supposed to happen but you know miracles do occur so then here I've got two two beautiful children and a wonderful extended family and it's like back to blessing in disguise I really feel like having children later in life is a total blessing because it keeps you young you know so you go to Disneyland when you're 50 years old and you play with them on the playground and
2: and i took up triathlon so i could keep in shape to keep up with logan yeah
1: right i mean you guys were probably
0: the most active parents of my friends who you know most of their parents were much younger than you guys but yeah
1: you know yeah, yeah. and you do have to get used to people saying oh yeah. your grandson is <laughs> so cute yeah <laughs> and that was a little insulting, but that was like the the least of my concerns. So I just feel so, and I guess one frosting on the cake is there are two women in my life who I encourage to have children later in life. And one of them is my daughter-in-law, and she was in her late 30s. And they were trying, and nothing happened, and so I encouraged her to try IVF, and she did, and the first time it didn't work, and I said, keep trying, keep trying. It's so wonderful having children, and she did, and and it worked, and she's got this beautiful little girl. And then another acquaintance, my other daughter-in-law's sister, had a boy and he was getting older he was like seven or eight and she i remember talking to her at the beach and she was regretting she had tried to have a second she really wanted to have a second child and but she kept saying well at my age you know and i think she was like 37 or 38 and i'm thinking wow you're really young (laughs) and so compared to you know what i experienced So then she said, really? You had a child at 43 and again at 52? And so she was inspired by that. And so she went back and I think, I'm not sure if she tried IVF, but she kept trying and they had their second child and it was a beautiful boy. And so I feel like (laughs) I've been a good role model for some people. Yeah, I mean, I
0: ended up having Ryan Young. Yeah, not 31, but you had kids later, Elanice, Kelly, like so many people in our family had kids later on. I never felt like there was like a race to get to a certain place at a certain time or if I like didn't have kids by X age, then it wasn't going to happen and, you know, now If I ever have friends going through IVF or friends who think they're, you know, quote unquote, too old, you know,
1: you're a great story to share. Yeah. And the uh, thing that doctors always say is after 35, you can't really have kids, you know, it's your. Well, what do they call it? Like geriatric pregnancy after 35, which is crazy. It's, It's crazy. But I read somewhere that if you're 25, people in their mid 20s to mid 30s the chances of being pregnant are like 75%. And then when you turn 40, it goes down to 50%, which is still pretty high. Yeah. And then, you know, when you get into the later 40s, yeah, it diminishes again. But there are plenty of cases of, of people in their 40s and 50s having children. So it's really changed a lot since I went through it. And So hopefully, doctors are being a little more encouraging of people. But it is such a gift to be able to bear children and and raise children and love them no matter what. So I totally encourage women to keep trying if that's what you want. But, you know, it's got to be what you
0: want. And Did you ever feel any shame around your body, like not – because I know that's kind of common, like my body's not working or – Yes.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I felt shame when I got pregnant because I'm going, oh, my God, I'm so old. (laughs) I'm so old to be pregnant. I kept thinking people are going to, you know, like look down on me or whatever. So I felt some shame for that. But I actually didn't feel the shame – because I I wanted it so badly, yeah. And I knew that no matter what, I was going to keep trying. And if people, if my body didn't respond the way I wanted it to, that's totally okay. Because I'm going to just keep friggin' trying. Yeah.
2: You know, the family played a role in that because they're so encouraging. And the funny story for me is that Logan, I remember, in the park a couple times, and when he was four or five years old, whatever. And he'd go up to a and say, do you know how old my dad is? <laughs> and he'd say, and he still runs triathlons. And so all my kids were just really proud yeah. of it. Yeah, that's and a good point. And that made yeah. a difference. But I think the, you know, the bigger message is that stuff hits us in life. It comes along whatever form it's in. And we can just keep some kind of gratitude perspective because there's always good stuff there. That's why I still do my little journaling at night, my three blessings. And because for me, that terrible thing created, you know, companies helped change the world. It helped create my soulmate in Bernadette in a 50-year relationship and a wonderful family. But I just had to get through that to do it.
1: Yeah. So thank you, Sandra. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: my last question for you both to answer separately is, what would you say to someone who just got left by their spouse yesterday?
2: If I could do it over, I would take it less personally. I think everybody does things for their own reason, even mates of us. Sandra, as I look back at my wisdom now, says that made total sense for her. She hadn't lived her life. You know, it was the age of the grateful dead, and she wanted to be out there and just live in life. And so that had no reflection on me. That was her thing. So first thing is... Don't take it personally. It's hard, but know that they have their own story, and that's their story. Realize that you will go through some pain, and it's okay. We go through some sorrow, and it's okay. But at some point, declare you're going to move forward. At some point, say, hey, I'm done with the past. I'm done with the regret. I'm done with the anger. It's not serving me. And begin to look forward. And what happens when you do that almost magically is doors begin to open. And be kind to yourself. Make a list of things that are great about you because there are things. And and having some perspective in our lives is important. So that'd be part of my advice. That's great.
0: Mom, your hypothetical situation is, what would you say to a woman who is going through a breakup at 35 and on top of being heartbroken, she's nervous that maybe she won't be able to have a family?
1: Okay, so I would say that you need to be really kind to yourself in this whole time going through a breakup is that's a whole process in itself so you need to be kind to yourself and go through some of the steps that you've learned at in breakup bestie and but just know that you can have children you will if you There are lots of options and it happened to me at the age of 43 and it happened again at the age of 52 and there are a lot of examples but that might be a little early. You may not be ready for that but just remember that you can do it. So once your healing starts to happen and you start thinking more about your future, I would recommend that you go to a professional and find out all the options for having children after the age of 35. There are doctors out there that would probably tell you, no, you can't. And then there are doctors out there that are very supportive and will help you figure out all the different options. I mean, the newest one that wasn't true when I was trying is having your eggs frozen. I mean, that seems like a great idea and not that hard. And, you know, surrogacy and IVF and just understand that the field is more wide open than it used to be. And pray a lot, too. I'm a firm believer in prayer. And just realize that if you want it badly enough, and I'm sure you probably do, If you want it badly enough, it'll happen.
0: That's great. Well, thank you, mom and dad, Bernadette and Larry, for coming on the podcast. And I love you both.
1: When you came and asked me if I would be open to doing this podcast, I was so honored that you wanted me to tell my story. (laughs) So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you so much. And I'm honored to be your mom. Oh,
0: thank you. Love you. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.